The media landscape has changed dramatically in the past decade. Social media platforms are a major part of many people's day-to-day lives. If you are a business owner, you may rely on it for connecting to potential customers. If you are a researcher, you might use it to communicate your newest findings to the public or fellow researchers. And if you're a politician, you're considered a fossil if you don't engage with it. If you're listening to this podcast, you likely heard about it on Twitter, and I likely promoted it there. Social media platforms are subject to little content regulation. It is generally up to the companies to decide what can be posted and by whom. The practices of companies like Facebook are largely hidden from the public, and thus we know little to nothing about their potential impacts on public health as the companies conduct all their research internally. In October of 2021, a former Facebook data scientist testified to Congress that their internal research showed potential harms the social media platform can inflict on youth mental health, including increasing suicidal thoughts and encouraging eating disorders, especially among girls. The former employee called on Congress to regulate the tech giant and others like it, much like they do tobacco companies. However, there are certainly potential benefits to social media for many, including encouraging engagement with family and friends more easily, especially in times of, say, a pandemic. I'm your host, Ghassan Hamra, assistant professor at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and this is Epidemiology Counts from the Society for Epidemiologic Research, a podcast that gives you up-to-date information on the state of health science straight from researchers who are deeply involved with this work. Today, I'm joined by Epidemiology Counts host, Brian James, Associate Professor at Rush University Medical Center. Hi, Brian. Hey, how are you doing? I'm excited for this conversation. Same here. And we're joined by an expert in the area of youth mental health research, Kira Reem. Kira is a recent graduate of Johns Hopkins University and is currently a postdoctoral fellow at the Columbia Mailman School of Public Health. Thanks for joining us, Kira. Thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. So we are both pretty excited about this episode. Brian and I both have young children and inevitably the topic of what their future in the world of media and social media is going to look like. And I can only imagine there are a handful of days left before my son is asking me about a TikTok account oh or Instagram or anything like that. So I'm very excited about the content of this episode. Got to get ready. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. We're scared, Kira. We're scared. <laughs> a little bit, a little, uh, just, a, just a smidge, just a smidge. So before we dive in on media and social media, what are generally regarded as major threats to youth mental health? For example, what would a pediatrician say to keep an eye out for in uh, day-to-day life? So I think there are a variety of things that we can think about when we're thinking about youth mental health these days. Um, the, the, one of the first things I want to start off with is that we, we do have robust evidence now that depressive symptoms have increased amongst youth, uh, specifically in the past decade. Um, there's kind of, if you look at different studies, there's sort of an inflection point around 2010 or 2011, where a pretty steady rise in depressive symptoms has really taken off since then. Um, and so there's definitely been a lot written in the literature about why this might be happening and what are possible things we can do to curb it. Um, I think uh, obviously the topic of this podcast is social media use. I think that might be one factor that's contributing um, to a rise in mental health problems among teens, but it's certainly not the only one. And it's not the only one that researchers have focused on. 
I think there's a variety of things that teams have to worry about these days. Um, and I think there, there's there, there's varying degrees of evidence available in the literature for some of these different factors. But things that I see talked about all the time are things like um, exposure to both the, the stress of climate change occurring itself, but also just the harm of a changing climate and hotter temperatures, what that might mean for mental health. Um, generally declining sleep quality and quantity, uh, exposure to bullying, exposure to possible violence at school and in the community. We see these, these like very highly publicized school shootings that have occurred. And so that can have implications for mental health. Um, there's also a, just a rapidly changing substance use landscape um, where we have these different forms of substance use that teens are yeah. using more and more. Um, and finally, there's just dramatically rising uh, wealth inequality. Um, and so together, I think these form a lot of different stressors for adolescents, both in terms of how they view themselves in the moment, um, but also sort of their, their prospects for the future. Like what, what is their adulthood gonna look like? Um, and I think that a lot of these things can weigh on teens these days. So Yikes. I think uh, you just gave me like six ideas for follow-up episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle I mean, up. I mean, the climate change one really struck me, especially. Yeah, I, my, yeah. my wife is reading uh, Naomi Klein's climate, or I think capitalism versus the climate or something like that. I can't remember the title, but now, now, I, now I'm going to spend the rest of my day thinking about this and I'm not going to tell her about this conversation because that's going to stress <laughs> her out even more. So yeah, we yeah. pretend you didn't say anything about that. That that's sort of like a a more burgeoning field and something I'm getting involved with more and more uh, during my postdoc, um, mm -hmm. just via some some advisors I have at Columbia, and so it's been yeah, it's been really great, good exposure for me. Yeah, that's fascinating. We, we had a climate change episode, and we we I, we talked a little bit about how it affects mental health, but specifically on you know the future for the youth. Um, that's a really interesting you know focus, but. Uh, all right, so basically adolescence in the modern world is a landmine is basically the, <laughs> the takeaway there, great. Um, but let's focus it, you know, we, we got to tell, we only have an hour here. So let's talk about social media. So, you know, what is it about social media? Like what's the, well, first of all, I, I have a two-part question. I do this often, sorry. What is it specifically about social media that you, you mentioned really kind of adds to this um, pressure on adolescence and this stress? Um, what is it about social media that does that? And then on top of that, you know, what are the primary concerns for youth mental health that are associated with social media that, that has emerged from the research? So I'm actually going to answer your questions in the reverse, reverse order. order. Um, I think that's I think it's a little bit easier for me. Okay. Um, so I think for your for your second question, you were asking about just the general concerns related mm -hmm. to social media and mental health for youth. Um, I think there's a variety of concerns, uh, and and this probably came through in my my first answer. But depression is probably the one that we see most commonly talked about in the literature, and I think mm -hmm. that's what's covered probably most in in um, the media as well. Um, but there are a variety of other issues related to social media uh, and digital media that that could have implications for mental health, and th these include things like possible um, anxiety symptoms, mm -hmm. uh, poor body image, symptoms of ADHD. So um, Sorry, ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So um, symptoms like inattention um, and uh, just related constructs there. Um, there's also issues related to possible substance use. Um, and then finally, on, on a more serious note, there's also been concerns raised about possible exposure to um, self-harm as well as suicidal behaviors. So it's really... Um, it's really like quite a vast number of things that people have looked at in the literature and as possible harms of social media use. Right. Um, and those harms are, are pretty, 
are have been there for a long time. As you said, they've gotten worse recently, but you know, adolescents have been struggling with a lot of these harms for a long time. So what is it about social media that, that this is the first part of my question <laughs> that you were probably about to answer, um, that exacerbates that? Like, what do we think is going on there? Yeah, so I think there's a number of things going on there. Both, both um, it, social media is interesting because it's it's about what happens on social media when teens are using it. But I think it's also about what social what 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 teens could be doing instead. Like te teens only have so much time, yeah. and if they're spending time on social media, well, well, that's taking the place of other activities that could be that could be beneficial for mental health instead. Um, and so I think in terms of things that are actually happening on social media, um, we can think about just the sort of idealized and sensationalized images that teens are seeing on social media. Um, a lot of times what we see discussed is related to body image, particularly for, um, for, for girls. Um, and these things can translate into things like reduced self-esteem. Um, so, so those are kind of mechanisms that have been discussed related to social media. Um, in terms of what's hap what, what social media could be taking away from, in terms of what adolescents could be doing instead, um, one thing that comes up a lot is definitely reduced sleep quality and quantity. Um, we, we know that sleep over time has de declined in adolescence. And so, um, and, and sleep is so intimately tied with, with mental health and actually poor sleep is a symptom of many mental health disorders themselves. Uh, and so that's kind of been tied in there um, about how teams might be using social media instead of getting enough sleep, or it mm -hmm. might be just heavy use might be contributing to um, poor sleep quality. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, uh, again, when teens are using social media, there, there, there's things that they're not doing in person. So these can include things like in-person social interactions mm -hmm. um, that could be good for their mental health, as well as things that we know that things that we've known for decades are good, um, just generally for well-being, like right. physical activity. Yeah, we did a previous episode on screen time specifically, and, and kind of the right. takeaway I took from it is that exactly what you just said, the worst thing about screen time seems to be if you're in front of a screen, you're not doing all the other things that are good for you as a kid, <laughs> being active, all that. Um, and there's not that much evidence that actually looking at the screen is bad for you. It's more, you know, the negative aspects of what you're not doing. So that's interesting. Social media may be a similar thing where, you know, it, it, it could be the content and what you're exposed to, and it also could be you're just sitting there on social media until 2 a.m. instead of sleeping or, you know, doing all things you're supposed to do, so. Yeah, and I think the design of a lot of social media websites, um, and this is probably purposefully done, but oh, it yeah. can, can really pull people in. And it, yeah. it's, it's hard to it's hard to break that once you're just, just, if you think about the way that a social media app works, like the infinite scrolling, like it just, yep. it never ends. That You, you don't yep. get to the end. It, like it will just keep feeding you more and more content. And so it's really oh, easy yeah. to just get to get stuck in that cycle. Yeah, and I remember- Instagram hole all the time. Oh yeah, and I, I remember <laughs> I remember an uh, interview with someone from the New York, it, it wasn't from the, the individual, wasn't from the New York Times, but they were one of the former head of development at one of the major companies. I can't remember if it was Twitter, Instagram, whatever, but the whole point of the article was that you think you, this is about choice, but there, it, you Bad don't interest. realize that these, <laughs> companies design these software packages and their algorithms to remove your choice to like encourage you further and further like they like they have they've spent millions and millions developing these things to engage you as much as possible mm -hmm. so it's like it doesn't it's it's not even that you know you can't even just like write it off and saying like oh well you just you can just stop looking just at your off. phone yeah. yeah it's like it's actually like much deeper like in terms of psychology of 
and for a developing mind like a like an adolescence you know that doesn't have that decision making capacity that you know or that that what's the you know the frontal lobe development um they may just keep going and going and going yeah the sleep be damned you know yeah a hundred percent um and i think i think this actually this discussion brings up an interesting point um we, we might talk about this later in the in this episode but I know that uh, probably some of the questions you have are related to what, what, what parents and what teachers can be doing to, to sort of oh, reduce yeah. the possible negative impact of social media use. But I also think it's important to hold people who um, like work in tech companies oh, responsible sure. for these kinds of things um, and just ask them to design better social media platforms that minimize the potential for possible harms. Um, and. Uh, I think I think there's there's big questions there about how we can hold tech companies accountable um, mm-hmm. that that we need to look more at in the future. But I do think that that's that they are a key stakeholder in this conversation that I think needs to be needs to be spoken to directly. Uh, that's a very good point, and we probably Absolutely. won't ask you a lot of questions about that. But that overall statement is very well taken, and also you know the government the government has to regulate these companies. So yeah, you know both right. the, the tech companies and the government have to do something. It can't be left up to us parents and and teachers to flounder through this on our own. Very yeah. good point. So so before we go on to other questions, one thing that struck me in terms of threats to youth health that you've mentioned regarding social media that I didn't think about was substance use. That's yeah. that, that one kind of struck me. And oh, I'm yeah. kind of curious, what are the pathways or um, mechanisms there? Because it, it, it's not one that came to my head immediately, but now I have an idea after, after we hear myself, that. Yeah. I want, I want to know how, like, how does social media potentially encourage substance use in youth or adolescents? After we hear the experts take on this, I'll, I'll tell you my exposure to this. Before. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I, I can answer this question from the perspective of, uh, I, I did a study that was looking at, uh, at social media use in relation to alcohol use specifically. So I, I can't, I don't know if I can speak to substances generally, but at least with right. regards to alcohol, I can I can speak to that. I think I think probably the, the primary mechanism that's been looked at in the literature is just exposure to marketing, um, just exposure to these types of ads um, that can 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 pop up on different social media websites for different um, different substance use outlets, um, and so that's probably the, the the main mechanism that's been studied is, is really exposure to advertising. Other possible mechanisms are just exposure to peer use. Um, uh-huh. If you see your if you see your peers online using substances, you might think that oh, well that's that that's the cool thing to do these yeah. days, and so um, that's another that's another pathway via which time spent on social media could contribute to substance use. And here's the third one that I was going to bring up. Uh, exposure to celebrities and mm-hmm. influencers yeah. partying. I, I mean, thing. when I'm flipping through Instagram, I can't tell you the amount of rappers and, you know, like, I mean, it's not even people I'm following. It's just people sharing videos of, of rappers or celebrities partying, you know, smoking, you know, whatever, drinking. Um, and I know for a fact that kids are are, are um, you know, magnetized to that content, you know, like that, that looks cool to them. Right. And they're going to seek that out and they're going to look for it. And that's what being cool looks like to a lot of people. So um, yeah. Yeah. I, don't know I, do, I absolutely agree. And I'm, what I'll add on that is I think that, I think that the, the sort of realm of people are, and celebrities who have been featured in these advertisements mm-hmm. before has kind of expanded. 
Um, and like, for, for example, I follow a lot of, I, I follow some professional athletes on mm -hmm. Instagram and quite a few of them are, are sponsored by different alcohol companies. Um, yeah, and I, and I've seen that more, but it's ultra. So it's only 80 degrees, 80 calories, right? Right. Right. And I've, I, and I've, I've seen <laughs> yeah. that and that's kind of alarming because that sort of departs from, I think, I think it's more, I think it's easier to, to probably, probably for parents to just to regulate their child's use around like following celebrities on social media and mm -hmm. kind of draw a line there but it, but it's harder when you have these role models who are who are <laughs> primarily like athletes um yeah. like who could be a really positive role model for a lot of teenagers um and it's 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 difficult for me as an adolescent researcher to to, to see these types of um to see these types of things popping up on my Instagram and wondering wondering which teens are also seeing this and which ones are changing their behavior in response to it yeah, yeah. before uh before he was shamed out of the cycling world i think you know lance armstrong was probably highly regarded by by younger athletes in that area and i think he was sponsored by Michelob. and i think there is i can't remember for sure but i'm pretty sure that there is an ad of him with like a Michelob ultra just like you mentioned literally the one that i thought of immediately as well yeah yeah i mean this is a really good point but i i you know I think the advertising is definitely a major issue, but I think it's also just videos of concerts and uh, interactions and parties that that I am seeing like the most substance use is going on with with, with these influencers and and you know not as much athletes but more like musicians and stuff like that. Um, right. But I just wanted to bring up an anecdote, and you know he he won't listen to this, so he won't care. But I have a nephew who's about thirteen to spend a bunch a couple of weeks with him, and um. It was very. It was such an interesting insight into the world of how an adolescent interacts with social media that both uh, alarmed me and also kind of gave me some comfort. But I don't. But this is where I'm getting at with it, where he was seeing a lot of content that I don't necessarily think he should have been seeing, right? And he would show it to me like, "Look at this. This is hilarious." And I'm like, "You know, that's not. That's pretty adult. Like, I don't think you should." think that's funny. And he's like, well, I understand that this is ridiculous. Like, you know, he was trying to explain to me, like, this is people being absurd and I would not behave like that. So I'm like, oh, okay, that I guess he kind of gets that. But at the same time, I'm like, when I was 13, I wasn't exposed to all of those images flooding my brain and kind of normalizing that behavior. Uh, you know, every now and then we'd see an, a movie, in, you know, in the 80s, like, where they're doing ridiculous stuff but like that would really stand out to you like i went to a movie and i saw people doing crazy stuff they're seeing this like on an hourly basis you know um so it's just that flood of imagery that even if someone like my nephew who's a responsible kid can say i get it i shouldn't be doing this how do you believe that you know how do you as a parent say okay i'm all right with you seeing this Right. It's, it's, it's just constant. And, uh, and it's, hit, it's hitting teens at a really vulnerable time. Yes, these are, yes. these are kids, these are kids who are trying to come into their own and develop their own self image and, and figure out who they are. And, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that the types of things that they're flooded with on social media, um, like could play a role in that. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the evidence for all this, like, you know, it, it it's hard for me to, remove myself from this and think that my opinions are fully objective so i'm kind of but you know everything you're saying here kira is like and like checking off the marks in my head like yes that's what i thought too yeah for sure totally but in terms of the actual evidence like scientific evidence and publications yeah. like what what do we have because and i asked because i've seen 
I can't remember how far back it was, but there was a there was like a back and forth and and it was literally just two articles, but they're pretty short, like the kind of pithy like social media is bad for you. And then the response really? I was like, social media is not that bad for you. <laughs> and so th- it, it seems like there's certainly even on the scientific end of it, like researchers are are equivocal on this. So I'm kind of curious in terms of the weight of evidence, where 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 do you find the most compelling evidence or or at least what are the factors regarding social media's influence on youth health that are really the most kind of like well established or at least kind of like compelling in terms of what we have scientifically speaking. Mm-hmm. Great yeah. question. I'm really glad you asked this because I think I think the word that you used in asking the question equivocal is is a really good way of kind of summarizing the actual hard scientific evidence we have on this. I would say that I would say up front that there's definitely no consensus in the literature of the effect of social media on mental health, um, both in adolescents and also in adults. Um, I think I think generally, my 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 take, my sort of overarching summary of the literature in in youth is that I think that social media probably has some negative implications for some youth, and so. What I'm trying to imply there is that there's there's moderation going on, and 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 for for our audience, moderation is is when we see is when we see an effect of something on something else, but only in a subgroup. So, basically, I think that social media might be causing some harm just among a certain subgroup of adolescents who have some pre-existing vulnerabilities mm-hmm. um, that might lead them to these more negative outcomes when they use social media. Um, I, like I said before, I think there's a lot of different factors that are contributing um, to a rise in depressive symptoms among adolescents. And I think there's by no means a clear answer uh, to the extent to which social media is one of those factors. Um, I think I think it's generally really difficult in, if we look at the scientific literature to design studies around this. And I'd say, in my opinion, the largest hurdle is that it's really difficult to measure social media use. Mm-hmm. Um, you can think of all these different types of ways that we could possibly measure it. Um, my phone measures my social media use. <laughs> right. And I so get a measures, little alert. You're at your limit, buddy. And I'm like, yeah, ignore. Right. And so that, <laughs> is, that is probably measuring the amount of time you spend on social media. And, and I have that set up on my phone, too. And yeah, it's, it's kind of alarming how much time I find myself spending on it sometimes. <laughs> We're not going but, there. This is but, about but that's, that, Right. Sorry. But that's really just one way of measuring, of measuring social media. Um, you can look at all these other types of indices, like what types of platforms you're using. Are you using Facebook? Are you using TikTok? Are you using Instagram? Um, th- those are all designed differently and kind of have different types of information on them. And so we could think about why different platforms might have different implications for mental yeah. health. So that's one way of looking at it. Um, another way of looking at it is um, not, not just the amount of time we spend using it, but some index of actual engagement with social yeah. media. So possibly related to like how much you're scrolling, how many likes you give out, how many likes you receive. Um, how many comments you make, um, it, it, kind of getting at like, what are people actually doing on social media? Yeah. And so, right. and so be, because of these measurement issues, I think generally that just makes it, it makes it really hard to summarize the evidence base on social media and youth yeah. mental health, because studies measure all these constructs very differently and sort of trying to synthesize that 
um, and and come up with like a with with a unified understanding of what this means for mental health is can be really difficult. Right, because it's like, what are you actually measuring? What is the harmful thing? You know, if you you almost put the cart before the horse when you decide what to measure, because right. you may not be measuring the thing that's harmful. You know, but just to play a little bit of right. devil's advocate, I feel like you know, it's probably easier to measure a lot of things about social media use than a lot of other things that we're trying to measure in epidemiology, like nutrition, like, I mean, gosh, like trying to figure out what people actually put in their body is almost like an impossible task. Um, whereas everything, social media is at least all recorded digitally on your phone. So you may, it, you know, what you are measuring, people may have different opinions on, but it's all there, you know? So in mm -hmm. some ways it could be actually easier to measure this stuff than a lot of other behavioral fat risk factors that we measure. Right. I think I think what I'll what I'll counter to that with is mm -hmm. we have to measure it. We have to measure social media in a way that's relevant to mental health. Yes. Um, exactly. And so, uh, again, it's I think it's hard to, to come up with summary measures of, of what teens are actually doing on social yeah. media when they're using it. Um, and how it's and so affecting I think them. I think that sorry. Right. Well, just like we've been talking about, you know, two kids may see the same image and it could like really put one in a spiral and the other one just laughs it off. And so how do you measure that? Right. <laughs> right. And I think that 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 gets back at that idea of, of what I mentioned before of, of kids with some pre-existing vulnerabilities. Um, and that's yeah. another measurement issue that's that comes up in the literature a lot is 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 social media causing mental health problems or do people with pre-existing mental health issues are, are they are they drawn to social media because they're withdrawing from their life in other ways and so it's it's really a causality issue it's we, we don't know which one is causing the other um, th there could be effects going in both directions um, and it's it's difficult as in, as in any epidemiological study to really parse that out all right so you know at the beginning of this we were or I mentioned, the fact that a lot of these companies conduct their own internal research constantly. They probably hire the best researchers in the world mm -hmm. to do this work for them, but they don't release it to the public. So it, what kind of data sources do some, does someone like you have to study this That's in the first question. place? Yeah. And, and do, do you have even a chance of getting <laughs> access to the data f directly from the companies? Because it seems like it seems like they're not generally forthcoming. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree that, that 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 obtaining that type of data is, is generally difficult. I, at least in my own research, I've relied a lot on different uh, self-report surveys. So one of the data sources that I've used is a nationally representative survey of adolescents that is called it's called the Population Assessment of Tobacco and Health, um, and I used that in a study I think about three years ago now. And um, I thought I thought this it's funny because this data source was actually designed to collect data primarily on tobacco and health, as the name of the survey implies. But they had a number of questions in there about social media use that I hadn't seen anyone use in in, in actual research. And I I was really drawn to those. And actually, it's funny that I'm bringing this up now because that's what got me into this field in the mm. first place was. Um, was was seeing those questions on the survey and thinking, huh, uh, we, we could design a study around that. And, and that's what that's what led me to, to enter into this field. Um, and so go, going back to your question about about data sources, I, yeah, I would say I've generally relied on self-reported use of uh, social media and just the amount of time that people spend on social media. And there's obviously going to be massive measurement problems there, I think. 
Um, there, there's been a few a few validation studies, but there's there's no there's no sort of to, to my knowledge, at least there's I don't think there's a, a validated self-report tool that looks at like the amount of time that you spend on social media. Um, a lot of these a lot of these questions that are from surveys are really ad hoc that researchers just write for the purposes of sticking it in their survey. They're they're not actually validated ahead of time. And so the extent to which answers on these survey questions reflect actual social media use is, is still a big question in the literature. Um, and it, it could reflect other things as well. We, we know that there are different biases that people have when they answer survey questions. And so that this is a big concern when we're talking about measuring social media use as well. Are well, there, just, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it's, 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 it's such a shame really, because you know, you're trying, you're, you're saying that we want to design these surveys to capture all this information as best as possible when we know that it's all there. It's just, it's just not in our hands. That data are all recorded. There are, there are troves of data on media use because companies need it to train their algorithms or to probably get advertising revenue, whatever it is. Like all that data is actually sitting somewhere and you just don't have access to it. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Do, do any researchers, health researchers have, like, has anyone experimented with like an app that you could add to a kid's phone that just kind of measures, you know, some quantitative measure of how often people open Facebook or Instagram, you know, something, something so that it's a more objective digital measure of exposure. Has, has anyone gone there? I, I don't know if I'm up to, up to date enough on the literature uh -huh. to know whether, whether that's been done. There's your uh, next grant. There's <laughs> right. Your there's my next grant. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if anyone's done that super recently, but I think that's getting into sort of a new emerging method sure. that I've seen used in, in other fields of research oh, um, yeah. called ecological momentary assessment, mm -hmm. um, which a lot is of that in our field. Yeah. Right, right. Um, for, for listeners, ecological momentary assessment is where instead of doing a survey at one time point, um, people are sent questions uh, at different points as many, as, as many times as a few times throughout the yeah. day. Yeah. Um, and so things are measured really in the moment and yeah. answered really quickly as opposed right. and, and and that tries to get at this issue with recall bias. So you're not reporting on behaviors that have occurred over the past few weeks. You're 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 reporting on something that's happening in the moment. Yeah. And I'm wondering, um, well, it was like <laughs> we do that ecological momentary assessment. And if someone doesn't answer, they're probably on social media now <laughs> or you can have it just ping the phone and see if it's actually, you know, if that app is open. I don't know. I'm 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 spitballing here, but I feel like that's a that's a huge like area that could be broken into um, in terms of health research to you know use those phones to your advantage you know right I, I agree and I think I think I, I again I'm I'm not up to date enough to know whether studies have been looking at that recently but I I have definitely seen studies that have used sort of this uh, like, like this idea of like online scrape like scraping where they, yeah. they scrape websites for information mm -hmm. and so um, uh, not, not, not quite getting what mm -hmm. you're talking about, which is sort of more background metrics of use, but yeah. more public facing, like things like posts and likes and, and, and engagement like that. And so yeah. I know, I know studies have leveraged that for sure. Cool. So, so we, you mentioned before that, you know, one of the things that could be going on is that people could be using all sorts of varieties of different apps and, you know, you know, so do we have any information on, you know, what which social media is actually harmful like maybe some of it is perfectly fine and some of it isn't you know whether it be you know 
it's it's uh, whether you're going by the actual app people engage with or actually what they're doing on the app. You know, we have got TikTok, we got Instagram, we got Facebook. I don't think a lot of adolescents are on Twitter. God, I hope not because it's a cesspool. Um, I don't usually that's not really what how they engage with each other. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. Um, but like, is there any measurement of the type of social media and how that harms kids? Um, that's another really good question. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually speaks to a really key research issue that, it, that, it, that again is something else that I think the field of social media and mental health really struggles with is mm -hmm. that the types of social media platforms that adolescents are using changes so yeah. rapidly. We can't keep up. Um, right, we really can't keep <laughs> up with it. And so in, in some of the surveys that I've used, for example, um, I think the study that I published in, in JAMA Psychiatry used data from 2013 to 2015, yeah. and it That's asked about platforms like Facebook. Yeah. Um, I think it asked about MySpace, and <laughs> like like no teens are using that these days. Yeah, um, any teen and, listening and, to this is like, Facebook? I've never <laughs> used Facebook. That's what my mom uses. Right. right. I was talking to my, I have, I have two half siblings who are in uh, in high school, and I was talking to them about it recently, and I, I had to ask them, uh, like, what, what, are your, what are kids doing these days? Like, I have no yeah. idea. Um, but I, I really think that's a, that's a key measurement issue yeah. because we're asking these questions in, in surveys. And by the time we go to publish it, even just as soon as two years later, it, it's mm -hmm. already outdated. And so, I, I, yeah, I think get, getting at the types of platforms that are potentially more harmful for mental health is really, is really difficult. Um, I, I will say, though, that I think a lot of the discussion in the media has focused specifically on Instagram these days mm -hmm. um, right. and just how Instagram can can really portray a really idealized and sensationalized yes. version of yes. people's day-to-day -day lives that yes. isn't quite accurate and so yes. um th this isn't from this isn't me speaking as a researcher but more as just someone who moves throughout the world but that, that's the one that i see the most talked about uh on the media as 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 harmful well especially it's interesting that facebook had plans for the under 13 version of instagram oh. which i was going to ask you how you felt about that yeah they, they put that on the back burner after the data scientist Francis Hagen. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, mm -hmm. but, but when Hagen made comments to the Congress, it was, I think, you know, however long we, later they decided to bench that, which I was like, why does this even potentially exist in the first place? <laughs> which actually was, which actually remind, gets me to the next question I really wanted to ask you, which was, do we have any ideas at all, any evidence about what is a generally safe age for yeah. kids to start engaging with social media? And I ask this because I have friends who have maybe um, an 11 or a 12 year old and yeah. they got their kid, their first smartphone. Danger and zone. they're like, what should we let them use? And then I have another friend who has a six year old and they establish an Instagram account for their six year old. Ooh. And I'm like, what? Yowzes. Like, I'm, which is not a criticism. I was just like very <laughs> taken aback. I was like, I didn't even think to myself to establish any kind of accounts for my six-year-old because I have a six-year-old yeah. as well. I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking like, I guess this is something that maybe I could do, but is it even something I should be doing? I, I really have no clue. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I, I think, I think this question is really difficult because uh, again, for a number of the, for a number of reasons that I've already stated, just sort of arriving at a consensus-based yeah. evidence-based age for okay before this age not okay after this age okay yeah. i think is really difficult just for a variety of the reasons that i've already listed um that said i 
I actually, I, I'm, I'm not a clinician nor my parent. So when I write about these things in my articles, uh, I tend to refer a lot to the American Academy of Pediatrics website because they do have guidelines that are sort of based on clinician, clinician opinion um, regarding, regarding screen time and social media use. And so I think that the age that they list on their website there is probably around the age of 13. Um, and so again, I think, I don't think that that's a hard and fast rule that will apply to all children and adolescents. I think it, it's probably different for different children. I think one of the most valuable resources that the American Academy of Pediatric has that I think that parents should be aware of is, um, it's called the Family Media Use Plan. And I think that this plan, it really lays out ways that parents can talk to their teens about social media use, what, what their engagement with social media use means. Um, and I think it really helps set guidelines and expectations for reasonable and healthy use. And so uh, if there, yeah, if there's one resource that I want listeners to sort of, to sort of take away uh, from this That's podcast, cool. I would, that would be the one that I would point to. Very cool. My wife works for the AAP. So shout out to the AAP. Use those resources awesome. that, that they're providing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's real. That's thirteen. That that's that seems to match up with like what I think. But man, uh, getting your kid to thirteen without having a device, like good luck. <laughs> There's gonna be a lot. Some kids are gonna really be begging you for that for years, and then you got a lot of decisions to make. Um, but you know, because there's right. also phones can be good for getting in touch with your kids and being, you know, making sure you know where they are. So how do you regulate the good use of the phone versus the bad use? And actually, that was gonna be my next follow-up question like is there is there a healthy way that you can okay let's say the kid gets to 13 <laughs> you give him the phone you know you're saying okay I, I i'm okay it's probably all in the guidelines that you that you just pointed us to but um just for our listeners who aren't going to open those guidelines like it, what how do we uh get our kids to develop a healthy relationship with devices and with their social media and networking with other people that's a great question. And I, I think I think that's probably the first thing that you're getting at is 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 the idea of healthy use of social media mm -hmm. and what does that look like? And I don't I don't know if we've actually Is it <laughs> is there a healthy use? I don't know. First of all, right. And, and I, I absolutely I absolutely think that there is. Okay, um, I good. think that there's a number of of, of definite benefits to, to using social media. Um, probably the most probably the most notable ones that I can think of off the top of my head are things like keeping in touch with friends and family. Um, keeping up to date with current events and just knowing about what's going on in the world. Um, and I think the most notable benefit, in my opinion, is really uh, providing a sense of community and, and connection for adolescents who can't find community in their data, yes. data in their day to day life. And so mm -hmm. this can be groups like LGBTQ youth, um, but just as one example. And I, I think that's really I think that can be really essential. Um, again, going back to that theme of adolescents discovering themselves, trying to figure out who they are, I think I think this type of connection and community can be really important for some youth, totally. um, especially when they can't get that uh, on a, on a day to day basis. Um, and so it's a great question: how do we how do we ensure these benefits without also possibly exposing youth to harms of social media use? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, again, I, I don't want to like lean too heavily on the family media use plan, but I really do think that that is a fantastic resource. And what I'll add that I didn't mention before um, is that I think this plan also discusses beyond things like um, setting guidelines and expectations, the plan also helps parents talk to their 
kids about just promoting media literacy and being a wise um, quote unquote digital citizen mm -hmm. and just understanding what it means to be a person online. Um, the idea of like what you do online leaves a digital footprint yes. like that, like, like that can follow you for a long time and just helping you understand that their actions online do have consequences. Yes. Um, th yes. This kind of all follows under the umbrella of media literacy. And so um, my, my hope is that these these types of plans and these uh, other programs that might promote media literacy can can help youth use social media in a positive way. That's such a good point that I was that we should get into like one of the reasons this is so harmful for teens adolescents specifically is because in general in their life they don't get the consequences of their actions in the way that adults might and don't realize the digital footprint that they leave and how these things can come back to haunt them i'm always shocked by these athletes you know who someone someone digs up some tweet from when they were like in college and they were you know, they use a really bad, you know, slur or something like that. And they get in all this trouble. I'm like, how would you leave that up there? Well, first of all, why would you say it in the first place? But like, I get it. You're like a teenager at the time. People say stupid things. I said stupid things. When I was a teenager. But but now as an adult, I'm like, I would have gone back and deleted. I have like a $10 million contract in the NFL. I, I would go weed through my tweets and make sure I don't have a digital footprint. But so many people don't. Right. And it's just like that just doesn't stick in people's minds. You know? Right. Yeah, it's a right. Something and I, I'll say I'll say too that like sometimes just you deleting something off of your profile ah, doesn't doesn't mean that there. it's gone. That's it doesn't mean thing. that it's gone. Like I've googled I've googled my own name before, and oh, the images that come up on Google Images, I'm like, that's 100% me. But where is that coming from? Oh, that's like, I, uh, yeah, that's right. Like, like, I'm, I'm like, did, did yeah. I post that on Facebook at oh, some point? Gosh. Probably, but but who knows? I I mean, I've had oh. a Facebook account for over like over 11 years at this point, like I just, right. yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's these things that are, yeah, that are scary for me now. And just knowing how much social media has really exploded, that makes me really, really scared for teens. Yeah. I actually, um, and, uh, yeah. I actually wonder if there's a lesson for parents here too, because, <laughs> you know, as a parent, I, and I, I, I have to, I have to really reflect on this. I think I post pictures of my kids on Instagram all the time. Yeah, I and I'm, I wonder, I, I, you know, in terms of thinking about digital literacy, I almost feel like we as parents need some, some guidance. And I don't even know if there's anything in the literature out there about, you know, because I'm sure some, there are parents out there and I've probably done it and hopefully deleted it, but showing up like a video of their kid having a tantrum on Instagram, like, in 10 years, is my is my kid going to see this or their friends going to see it and they're going to just get really resentful or have oh, negative feelings associated with it? I didn't even think about that. That's right. the least of my worries. I mean, I, I think it's really hard to know. And this is kind of the first generation growing up with this kind of exposure. Yeah, right. Um, right. Like we just we don't have a precedent for this really would be would be what I have to say. Well, you know, I, I I use an app for my family called Tiny Beans, where I take pictures of my kids and I put them up there so that I don't have to send the same picture to like, you know, 25 different relatives who are all clamoring to see all the right. kids. So it's just all right there. And it, it hit me one day that every single day of my daughter's life has uh, has documented digitally, has a photo attached, at least one photo, sometimes like 10, 15. And anything that she'd done in her life, she'll ask me about it. I'm like, oh yeah, let me pull that up. I can show you what you did three years ago, you know? And I'm like, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> she doesn't even have to have a memory really. Like she could just go see it all, download that data. And she's got every day of her life in digital form. Right. It's, it's super that's different new. from how we grew up. Yeah. I like, I have, I have a 
some very treasured photos of me as as a child um and like same with same with my parents as well um but yeah kids are growing up these days with like just it's so easy to take a photo now on yeah, your cell phone yeah. it, it takes it takes like two seconds you don't even have to you don't even have to at least on my iphone i don't even have to unlock the screen anymore i can just take i can just hit the photo button right. and take a photo right there um and so yeah it, it's interesting to speculate about growing up in that environment and what that means my, my speculation was that she's just not going to develop a memory because she's like why do i got to remember anything i'll just pull up the app so it's all right there um, yeah well, you know, as we're, we, this talk is, I mean, this has been so fascinating that like 45 minutes has just blown by. So I don't want to, I don't want to miss some very important topics that we need to cover. Um, I think we've talked about, you know, exposure to imagery and how that can be harmful for teenagers. But what we, one thing we haven't talked about is cyberbullying. And I know that this is, you know, when I told some friends or parents that we're, we're having this conversation, the immediate thing everyone asks about is cyberbullying. So I want to cover, you know, um, you know, I have a number of questions about this and I'm sure Gassan does as well. But um, my initial question was like, you know, bullying's always been around, right? You know, bullying has just been a thing kids have, ever since it's been like a school setting <laughs> or a group setting for kids, like one kid bullies another kid, you know, unfortunately, right? But there seems to be something way worse about it now with the digital age and cyberbullying. And uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I have some ideas as to why that might be. Um, but is this really, is, is the research showing that cyberbullying is as bad a problem as we parents think it is? Or, is, or is, are we just blowing it up in our minds? Is the media blowing it up? I, I mean, I think cyberbullying is certainly a problem. And I think probably, probably one thing that makes it just uh like prevalent and just easy for teens to engage in is probably the anonymity associated yeah. with it um yeah. it's it's very easy to be anonymous online and yeah. as i'm saying this i'm actually remembering something that was uh it was like an add-on that you could get on facebook mm -hmm. when i was in high school and i don't know if any listeners remember this but it was, i think it was called honesty box and it, it basically allowed you to message your if other people had troll box. box oh that's terrible. right you, you you could message people and just leave an anonymous comment for them um and i remember like getting nasty things in mine and now now i'm like uh, like obviously i'm doing doing fine these days but <laughs> at the time it felt really awful and i'm just looking back and i'm remembering like i'm like who thought that that was a good idea yeah. like how could yeah. you possibly think that that was going to have any positive benefit you know yeah. um yeah that's pretty outrageous and that's obviously like a pretty extreme uh like example of of cyberbullying online um but uh yeah definitely a problem that teens these days have to deal with yeah the anonymity and also the the uh you know as i think about this it's like the lack of repercussions like even if even if someone's a pretty bold brash bully in a school setting um they got to do it when there's no like teachers looking <laughs> they got to do it when there's not a lot of other people that'll jump in and be like stop being a jerk but like when you're it's just one-on-one -on -one in a cyber digital space it's like really easy to just lay it on someone with no repercussions right yeah and there's no regulation there's no like there's no adult eyes on that that interaction you know right Oof. it's it's really easy i think like I think it's easier probably for cyberbullying compared to traditional bullying to really stay between two kids. Yeah. Like two or more kids. And it just mm -hmm. it won't be noticed by parents and teachers. And then yeah. I think even when it is noticed by parents and teachers, the question, the next question is who's responsible for this? Like whose responsibility yeah. is it to step in? 
um, because it, if, if it's all occurring online, then like whose lap does that fall into? Well, there's been these major court it. cases about that, you know, like cyberbullying and like whether the schools are responsible for it, if it happened between students, but it wasn't on the school ground, but how does something digitally happen on a ground or not on a ground? You know, there's a lot of uh, questions about that. Um, but there's, so there's right. the one-on-one -on -one aspect, but there's also the amplification aspect, right? You know, the fact that you could just take a picture of someone that some that you know would be really private to them and then just blast it to the entire school didn't that happen on what was the name of that at netflix show um 13 questions oh 13 reasons why 13 reasons why that's exactly what happened right um they blasted out a picture and then and that and then the girl committed suicide which is awful um it was a story obviously but i think there's a lot of truth to that something like that um that could never have happened before you know a picture could get passed around right but to but now you can blast it to the entire school, you know? Right, yeah. I have complicated feelings about 13 Reasons Why. Oh, no, so think, do I. Yeah. <laughs> so do I. I think a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As they We're should. Go there. I don't, we'll have a whole yeah, podcast was... episode about that. Yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Um, we're running out of time here, but... Um, yeah, I feel like we could just keep going, but we should. Know, <laughs> we have to, have to limit ourselves a little bit. One thing I did want to touch on before we left, and we, we've kind of we've kind of uh, tinkered around this topic, is the disparities in yeah. um, in health consequences or p potential uh, mental health concerns of youth between uh, between sex or gender. And um, I'm just curious, what kind of you know? It, it's it's kind of one of the things that feels intuitive but is not necessarily. And I'm wondering what kind of evidence we have regarding that out there. Right. I, so I think, I think there's kind of two, two issues to talk about here related to, related to sex and gender. And so the, the, the first relates to that, to that rise in depressive symptoms over time that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. we, we do see that, that that increase is higher in females. Um, and so mm -hmm. that, that's, that's the first piece of the puzzle to note here. I think the second piece is that there are some studies, and not not my research actually, but some other studies that have uh, that have looked at sex differences um, in terms of social media use and their and their consequences for for mental health. And again, not every study shows this, but some studies have found that the effect is stronger among females. Um, and so I think I think taken at face value, I think this sort of like fits into this narrative that is really driven by the media that social media is terrible for girls. It's causing all these problems in girls. Um, and my my take on that message is that that's a little bit sensationalized. Certainly not all studies support this conclusion. And and again, like I said before, I think that there are are other things that are going on in teens' lives that would affect that. Um, that sex disparity in, in depressive symptoms that we're seeing. Um, and so it, it could possibly be a piece of the puzzle, but I don't think, I don't think that that's the only reason why we're, why we're seeing disparities in mental health by sex. Right. Yeah. Well, I feel like on a lot of these episodes, we're, you know, we're talking about a topic like climate change, it's, it's bad, tobacco <laughs>
do a lot of work on you, but I'm very glad to have people like you doing that. Yes. Work. Right. I really appreciate your, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I think all this. of us, I think all of us in the field of adolescent mental health, at the end of the day, we all, we all want to figure out what's, what's driving things and what we can do to help. And so, um, yeah, I'm, ha I'm happy to be a part of that and really motivated to keep generating research that, that helps us answer these big questions and, and get us to a point where we can really um, promote better mental health among teens. Great. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you. And uh, yeah. before, uh, before we go, if you are an epidemiologist, I recommend you consider becoming a member of the Society for Epidemiologic Research. Membership gets you a discounted fee for the annual meeting, which is scheduled to be held in June 2022 in Chicago. Fingers crossed. Uh -huh. <laughs> Membership also gets you access to the SER library, which has some great learning materials, seminars, and activities. You can find out more at epiresearch.org. Also, just a quick statement that the views expressed in this podcast by both the hosts and any of our guests are ours and their views alone and do not represent the views or opinions of the Society for Epidemiologic Research. We really appreciate you listening and we'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks again, Kira. Thank you.